cult classic action movies, shows, and the artists who helped make them. This is Action Gems. And welcome everyone to Action Gems. This is Matt. And I'm Richie. And Action Gems is a place where we find the movies and you watch them. Now, today is our very first episode of Action Gems. We did this over a year ago, right Richie? Man, that was, yeah, very beginning of 2020. Yeah, and we started this as kind of a truth or dare situation where uh, I just, you know, ribbed Richie into uh, starting this thing. And it turned out that uh, it, this was one of the best things we could have done because the first guy that we talked to was, or Richie talked to, I was not able to be there, was Jeff Meek the actor who played Raiden in the show Mortal Kombat Conquest. Now, Mortal Kombat Conquest was a show from the late 90s that we hadn't even started watching until very recently. Well, um, uh, for Richie, I showed him uh, this gem. I watched this, of course, when I was very young because I was a Mortal Kombat fan. This was the last time until the mid to late 2000s that Mortal Kombat was going to be adapted in a live action show, whether it be a TV show or a movie. This was kind of its last stand. And Jeff Meek was kind enough and nice enough to uh, just talk about the show and just talk about how his, uh, his experiences were on that show and many other stories, crazy stories, that involve him and his legacy. So here it is. Well, I had acted when I was a kid in stage, you know, school plays and stuff. And then, um, let's see, when I was in high school, we didn't have much of a drama department. It was a new school, and so it hadn't really developed um, any sort of relationship to the theater. And it was kind of a blue-collar group of people, so there was not a lot of funding for it. And so the theater suffered. And a friend of mine... And I, we got together. We were real movie buffs. And I played football and basketball and baseball when I was in high school. I was a real jock, you know. And so being in the theater was a little weird, actually, you know. Yeah. And so my friends on the football team didn't quite get it. But what I did with a friend of mine, his name was Beavis Martinez. Okay. Now, <laughs> he changed his name to Beavis Faversham. <laughs> All right. And I said, Beavis, the last name's not the problem. <laughs> and he's, he's a, he was this really cool dude. He was half, uh, uh, I think he's Paiute, and uh, he's half Paiute, and another, I, I'm, I wish I could remember exactly. I love him too. He's just, I'm still dear friends with him. And he, uh, he's, he's Mexican and Paiute Indian. And so he's, he was about, in, in junior high school, he was about 300 pounds. He looked like a little, you know, Santa Claus. But he had, uh, he wore three-piece leisure suits. And he had, like with a vest and a bow tie. And, uh, and then he would have a bowler hat. He wore a monocle occasionally. And he had button-down shoes, and he walked across campus, and I go, oh, God, I got to know that guy. That guy's out of his mind, right? 
And so we started hanging out. And he was a real theater guy. He was he really loved silent movies, and he he was an expert. I mean, still to this day, so you can't stump him on a silent film era. I mean, he's just incredible. And so we got into Laurel and Hardy movies because when I was a kid, you on at five o'clock in the afternoon or so after school, they used to run them locally here. And so you could, you, we were really familiar with Laurel and Hardy. It's no longer the case with, which is really sad, is that Laurel and Hardy had you know, so many wonderful movies. And so we were fans. And so I, uh, he said to me, he said, we, let, let's make a couple of Laurel and Hardy movies. And so we had a little eight millimeter camera and we went to the theater director and he shot them. We'd be on stage and we built a set. And I played Stan Laurel, and he would play Oliver Hardy, and we did these little movies, and then we would put together a vaudeville show where we had skits, and we had jugglers, and we had song and dance stuff. It was an old vaudeville show. It was like a throwback. And then we would rent out the theater, and then the school would come and see our shows. And so we were making money. When I was in high school oh at the theater. And so it was called Burrs and Mick Vaudeville Show. And so we would show these little movies before we'd walk on. And then we'd do a little song and dance like, you know, Laurel and Hardy did. And then we would do routines like Who's on First from Abbott and Costello. And mm -hmm. we'd do all these kind of, you know, so it was really fun. So I really, you know, loved that. And it showed that it actually made me feel like I could actually make money at just entertaining. You know, and I was just in high school. I was like a junior in high school. So then I went to Texas with a friend of mine. We were framing houses in Texas in 1977. And, uh, you know, everybody was actually, if you could sling a hammer in Houston, Texas in 1977, you get a job. And so uh, we did. And so we were building these custom homes. And then uh, we were hanging out at this resort and just, you know, kind of just chasing girls and you know, doing a lot of drinking and, you know, just being, you know, 18 years old in Texas. And the drinking age in Texas at that time was 18. And so we were having, we were partying, right? And we were just making money, building houses. And and uh, I think at, and on the weekends, we rented bikes at this resort. And, you know, I worked at a tennis center, you know, washing tennis courts. And, you know, we just had all these makeshift jobs. And then uh, one night I was bartending at a party at this resort with all these millionaires there was all these oil guys you know yeah. big texas hats and there and uh i was behind the bar and then one of the tech one of the guys said hey you know what do you want to what do you want to do when you grow up and, <laughs> and I'm, I just said, well, I'm just picturing the uh uh the rich texan from the simpsons <laughs> absolutely the same guy right <laughs> and so and so i said uh i kind of want to be an actor and he says well act Show me what you got, boy. And so I got up on the bar and I did a, a, a pantomime of something that I had I had won this high school competition with. And I'd done, you know, I hadn't done it for about a year and a half or something like that, but I did it. And I had about 20 people laughing and having a good time and they cheered and everything afterward because I was just this bartender, got up and then did this whole thing, right? So he said, hey, man, I think you got talent. <laughs> So I think I'm going to, I'll help you. I'll pay for you to go to the Alley Theater in Houston to get your equity shoes. And you keep auditioning and I'll put you up. And I went, really? 
And he went, yeah, yeah, I'll do that for you. And I said, okay. So I didn't take him up on it. I went back to California, but I had an idea in my head that maybe I could do this. And so I went back to school at Riverside City College, you know, because my folks are from Riverside. And, uh, you know, I just tried to save some money. I, I got into the theater there. I started doing productions there, different plays, different musicals, plays. And there was a guy that was a professor there named Gary Schultz, and he had a professional theater that he worked on the side. So he was teaching at the school, and then he had this other professional theater where, well, Beavis, or my friend, he, he didn't drive, so I drove him around all the time. And I was doing some job working at a paint store going, trying to get through school. And he showed me a check. And on the check, it said actor on it. And I said, uh, where'd you get that? He goes, I'm working at the Mission Inn. They got a, the, Gary's got a theater there, and he hired me. So I'm working as an actor. And Jeff, you can do it too. You're, you're a good actor. There's no reason why you can't get a job there. So I said, all right. So I went on audition for it, and I got work there. And so for two years, I was like in rep. And so I would wait tables. So it was a dinner theater. And so I would wait tables and, at, you know, you'd have 25 people. It was real work. And then the, the only time that you calmed down was when you were on stage. And so it uh, taught me how to relax because the only time that I was under stress was trying to wait on those 25 people. It was a lot of work. And right. you'd have to do it in the interval and you'd have to do it in different, you know, times. It was that's, insane. That, that sounds insane. I mean, yeah, but what I would do too is I would, I would, you know, you'd order like three things. You could order prime rib or chicken or fish, right? Yeah. And so I'd go to the kitchen and every once in a while I'd order an extra prime rib or something, and that would be my dinner. And so I'd pick up and bus and put it on a tray, and I'd go around to to the tray. The, the busing tables were down in this little alleyway right next to the kitchen, and I'd go around the corner and woof down my meal, and that would be my <laughs> that would be my dinner. You're so, seriously describing last night for me because I work at Longhorn right now. <laughs> So it's it's a great way to get a meal every once in a while, right? Yeah. So I I was sitting in this theater just kind of going, you know, one of these days, you know, this is going to pay off. Yeah. So I did that for two years. Then I went to Irvine. I got accepted into Irvine, uh, UC Irvine. And I promised myself I was going to do as much theater and get on the boards as much as I could before I went out into the real world. And so I got cast in like 15 different plays in two years. And I was like rep. I was working. Nonsense. I didn't party at all, man. I was just all work, all work, all work. I was studying a play, and I was doing another one at night, and I was going to school full time. So then when I got out, I got called into General Hospital. It was my senior year. I think I was just sending headshots out. Yeah. And... Um, well, the, before that happened, what had happened is that we, I was doing a play called Blue Ann Hampton, Laverty Oberlander. And it was a, a Texas trilogy play by Preston Jones. Really funny. Uh, and a really great part that I was in. And we did it at school. It was one of the master projects of this guy, um, Tim Loftus, a really dear friend. He was my college roommate. And he had cast me in this play. And it was a big hit. You know, everybody was good in it. It was he, he did a great job directing it. The set was good. Costumes are great. And so what I said, I said, let's take this up to L.A. And he said, nobody does that. And I said, I know. 
let's go rent a theater this summer and play it the whole summer and just see how what we can get. See if anybody in the industry can come. And so he agreed to it. So we raised 10 grand. And we rented out the Zephyr Theater on Melrose Avenue in, in, uh, in Hollywood, West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it was a dump then, but you know, the, the theater was okay, but the, the area was not as hip as it is now. Yeah. It was kind of, kind of a nasty part of town. And so we put the show up, and we would invite industry people on Wednesdays and Thursdays or, or one a day during the week. And then at the interval or the, the break that we'd have with the show, we would go out and give them coffee and, and donuts or whatever and, and cookies and and pass headshots to them. And, and so, you know, there would be a handful of people, not very many people showed up, but that one person, you know, was an agent that went, wow, uh, I think I want to work with you. And so that got me an interview at, uh, he got me an interview at um, uh, General Hospital. And so I got cast as an extra on General Hospital. And okay. I was standing there. I don't. Well, the show was is that Tony Geary was a huge star on General Hospital at the time. In fact, he was on the cover of Time magazine. That's how big a star he was. Dang. I mean, it's, it was when soaps were at their peak. I mean, he was a major star. Okay, but it was a daytime serial. Was, uh, was... Elizabeth Taylor was on that show. Wow. Okay, it was a big deal, and so it was a lot of heat on it. And he had his character was uh, his character was name was Luke, and Luke had this casino in this town, this fictitious town, and so they had hired me to be one of the guys working at the casino, mm-hmm. and so all the extras got on the set, and I went, uh, I don't want to be just you know the crap dealer, I don't want to be just the roulette guy, I want to be the pit boss because I'd be on camera more. And so what I did is I waited. I created a character in my head. <laughs> His name was Ernie the Pit Boss. And I went over to, and, and then Tony Geary walked on the set and he was wearing sunglasses and he looked like he was hung over. I mean, he was just a wreck. He'd been on that show for so long. He had so much pressure on him and everything. You know, he was just kind of, he was over it. And I walked right. up to him and said, Hey, you don't know me from Adam, but I'm Jeff. And, uh, I just thought that it would be kind of cool if we had a little relationship as if I was running the place as your pit boss. Call me Ernie. And if, and, uh, you know, so in between scenes, if you want to have something going on with somebody else, I'll just walk up, whisper in your ear, you know, who the high rollers are. And, and, you know, we don't have any dialogue or anything, but I can make it sound, you know, so like you got something going on here. But otherwise, if you don't like it, you know, tell me to fuck off and I'll, you know. And, and that's fine with me, too. I'll just be another dude in your set. And he lowered his sunglasses and he went, I've been on the show for 20 years and no one's ever done that before. He says, you're, you're on. <laughs> and so we started working on this scene together and the director was shooting something down a little further down on the set. It was a big set. And he finally got distracted by us enough. That the director went, Tony, what are you doing? And he goes, this scene's better than the scene you're shooting. And he went, oh, damn. Oh, yeah. And he says, okay, well, let's shoot it. And so <laughs> I got lines. I got a character. Oh, I, got my, I got my card all from that moment of just saying I'm an actor. 
And so that's how I got into the industry with my Taft-Hartley is that I got Taft-Hartley because Tony Geary went out on a limb for me because he saw the spirit of my, I, I just wanted to be an actor. And I oh. met him. I met him in that place where, you know, I, I think that he, he recognized that it was part of him that loved the business. He, he loved the, he was a good actor. He loved acting. And so we became really good friends and, you know, and uh, I ended up having this small little part on this show that then triggered another call. I got a call in to play opposite Robin Wright in uh, Santa Barbara. It was a soap that's no longer around. And I tested for it and I got the part and I partied with my friends and family because I thought, you know, my career is really kicking off now, you know. And so right before the show I was about ready to start the show. They fired me. Why? And they, well, because Edge of Night, which is another show that was on the air at the time, it got canceled. And so uh, these other actors that were already established were available. Oh. And so they wanted to have one of those actors. So they fired me before I had a chance to work because I was an unknown. Yep. And so they hired this other guy. And so I was crestfallen, you know. And my family and friends thought that I was lying about the work. Because they're blue-collar people. They're just going to, you know, what do you mean? You got fired, don't you? You didn't do any work. <laughs> so it didn't make any sense to them. So everybody thought I was full of shit, right? And so mm-hmm. what I did was, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of uh, had a moment of grief. I remember being pretty disillusioned by it. And then uh, the casting director of Santa Barbara got so discouraged that she quit. She went to another show in New York called Search for Tomorrow. And she called me up about a month later and she said, Jeff, I want to fly you out. I have a part I want you to test for. And so I flew out. I got that part. I did that show for two years. And that's how I got my start was in New York uh, doing Search for Tomorrow, which had been the longest running show in television history at the time. It was on on for 35 years when I got on it. And uh, then from there, I sort of jumped to uh, primetime. And I started doing, uh, I did a show called, uh, it was a pilot called Remo Williams. It was based on the movie. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie with Fred Ward. No. It's a, it's a cool movie. It's about a guy who uh, trains with this, like, it's a fictitious martial art called Shenanju. And it's based on the Destroyer novels. Did you ever read the Destroyer novels? No. There's like 800 of them. And it was a, a novel about this guy, Remo Williams, who's this, uh, he's a nameless cop from New York okay. that they faked his death and then turned him into this machine of just, just he's like a, this, this Zen master character, you know? Uh-huh. And so Fred Ward did it on this movie. It was pretty successful, actually. It was back in the 80s. And uh, so that production company wanted to do television, so they hired me. And one of the ways that I got hired is that, you know, again, I didn't have much of a name. I'd only done daytime television. And so they were concerned about, you know, banking on me to play Remo. Of course. And so, and so what I did through my manager's suggestion, he said, uh, you know, you should do is you should read for all the other characters going to play the sidekick, which was played by Joel Gray on the movie. And it was played. Uh, and so all these stars were going to come in and audition for that Korean character. And I wanted to be there to read with them. And that was really smart. Because 
Rodney McDowell came in to read. Wait, who came in? Rodney McDowell. Rodney McDowell? He, he was the, the original Planet of the Apes. Did you ever see that? He, oh, yeah. He was also a kid actor with, you know, Elizabeth Taylor. And he, he was in the business forever. He knew everybody. He was an amazing guy. Love Roddy. Well, here's what Roddy did. I was in the audition with Roddy, reading for him. He walks over to the producers and he goes, who do you have to play Remo? And they go, we haven't picked him yet. And he says, why don't you pick him? He's fantastic. And that's how I got the job. Oh, dang. So Rodney McDowell just went up to him and said, you know, if you're going to hire me, I'd love to play opposite him. Wow. Isn't that something? That's, that's, that's awesome. So special. It was awesome. And so I ended up playing Remo Williams. And we were on the docket at, uh, I think it was, was it NBC? It was either NBC. It was one of the major. It was only three networks then, by the way. And yeah. Fox. There was CBS, NBC, and, and ABC, and that was it. And so getting a primetime show on one of those was pretty. That was a pretty cool thing, you know. And so we were on the docket to to uh, start the production at the eleventh hour, and they were going to announce their schedule in May. And uh, they got scared because the producers were movie producers, and they didn't come in on time. They were a little late with the product. And they were afraid because there were movie producers and not television producers, the show wasn't going to, you know, be on time. And they were they scared them off. But they loved the show. And so from that, though, I solicited other stuff. And so I ended up doing a couple of other pilots. And then I got this show called The Exile. And I, sh I went to Paris to shoot this show. Um, and I did that for about, I guess it was a little over a year of shooting that show. And then from that, that was a nighttime CBS show. And then they flew me back, and then I tested for uh, Raven, which is the show that I did on CBS um, in 90, 93, 94. But uh, that's how it worked. You know, I just, I, I got lucky. And, but also I was, I, I kind of, I worked really hard. I did, I did like 50 plays before, like 50 to 60 plays before I ever went to do any television. I did a lot of work. And so I tried to, you know, build my confidence as an actor. So I wasn't, I, did, I didn't want to be denied. You know what I mean? I wanted to, I, I wanted to be, they, they couldn't say that I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Of course. I wanted to be that actor. I wanted to be um, a, a triple threat. I wanted to be able to sing. I wanted to be able to act. I wanted to be able to dance. I wanted, that's why I did the martial arts. Yeah. As, you know, it, it, and also the martial arts kind of came out of, um, uh, the acting it didn't go the other way around really yeah and so my martial arts training came from the fact i started getting cast in these sort of remo williams kind of parts and so i was hooked up with all the best stunt guys in the world the guys that were my doubles were you know uh, uh chad randall was my stunt double when i was doing remo and he's one of the greatest stunt coordinators in the world right now he did you know magnificent seven and you know, he, he's a major player in the stunt world. I mean, he, he's a terrific, terrific choreograph, choreographer. And uh, and also um, uh, Billy Blanks. I, I trained with Billy Blanks for, you know, years. Yeah. So you get good when you're in the ring with Billy Blanks every day for six, eight months. You know, you, you, you get good fast. Otherwise, you get your ass kicked. <laughs> right. I got my ass kicked a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's... 
<laughs> so it's I got you know this training from Jeffy Mata and who I consider one of the great stunt coordinators in the world. Uh, he did all the Born Identity pictures and he he did Raven and he did uh, Crow and he, you know he, he's an, he's a major major martial artist, beautiful beautiful choreographer, and so I learned from all the best. You know, Bobby Bass was my first stunt coordinator. Bobby Bass, you know, Stunts Unlimited was created by Bobby Bass. You know, these these are heavyweight, old school. They're just great stunt guys. And I hung out with them. I mean, I was because I was doing so much action. I mean, uh, Remo Williams was, I was doing a fight on roller skates. You know, as, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was doing gags where I was sliding down water on a platform about this big with boots that were nailed to it or screwed into it. And so I was surfing down this water off a four story building. Can you go back to the fight on the roller skates? Um, so <laughs> how often did you have to kick with those things on? Well, what they did for me in certain shots is they would lock off the wheels. Okay. So I had two different kinds of skates. And so when I was doing, you know, spinning kicks or heel kicks or just front kicks or whatever, I was locked off. For sure. But, when, but the, the other shots, I was all wheeling around trying to avoid. I was fighting a motorcycle gang. It's hilarious. Okay, I, I was I, I was worried for uh, for for you back then, so I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. But uh, Chad did a lot of the, you know, a lot of the hitting the floor. You know, he he was an amazing double. And uh, just, yeah, really, really talented. And, and his father was a major stunt guy before him. So he grew up in the business. Yeah. If you look up Chad Randall, he's, he's a major, major uh, stunt coordinator now. And he still does his own gags. I mean, he was a great athlete, too. Just amazing. Yeah. So fearless. Absolutely fearless, that guy. Scary. Mean you, you, you see a good stunt man it's yeah they get a lot of respect it's just sort of like that tarantino movie is a little bit right yeah it's that the real guys are the gag guys you know and so i liked hanging out with them yeah uh, yeah and and so i and, and i trained with them i trained with you know a lot of really great martial artists and so i got pretty good you know and i got pretty good really huh I was going to say, and it sounds like you really developed a, an, an appreciation for all totally. the work that goes into the fight choreography. Oh God, totally. well. well, and also, it's just as an actor, if I was doing Raven, I would do three fight scenes a week. So that one fight scene for maybe five minutes is going to take all day to shoot. So you yeah. have to stay warm and fight, stay warm and fight, stay warm and fight, stay warm and fight for eight, nine hours. So would they have you doing things like stretching or... Stretching on a bike. Up? Keep moving, yeah. You know, stay warm because you—it's that's where you get hurt—is when you cool down and then you have to, you know, gear up again, and then have the same kind of energy and vitality that you had when you first shot it. So that's how you—that's how I got hurt—is that if I wasn't warmed up enough, and then sometimes you shoot at night, it's cold. Oh yeah. You know, sometimes after a while too, if you're doing a series like that, you know, you run out of stunt guys. Yeah, you know, stunt, they can't be playing the same part with the same stunt guy five different ways. You can't just keep putting a mustache on <laughs> or like ski masks, right? And That's so a... you end up, you know, 
after a while you start getting into people that are not that gifted. And so they're fighters. And so when they get excited, you can get popped. Oh yeah. But I've, you know, I've been hit and whacked. And also I've whacked a few people when I was, you know, if you didn't hit the mark and I was doing a spinning heel kick, you know, and, and you're not on your mark, you're going to get your head taken off, you know? Right. So. Well, it's, Couple times, and, and it's cool that it sounds like you were directed to just completely follow through with your movements. And oh, completely. And, and so when you watch it, I mean, I, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure when you watch it, you don't see any hits that are pulled, and so it actually makes it look more real. And sometimes you can even, you know, close up the gag. You know, oh, you, yeah. you can actually, you know, just put it in there and just and put it in there. You know, you can. Or, you can uh, do it with feet. You can do it, you know. I was just gonna say you could do the Jackie Chan technique of uh, right. <laughs> put a shoe on your hand and then why not? <laughs> I mean, that's it what works. we do. It works. It totally works. Yeah, it's great. It's so much fun too. It's fun when it's really good. If you get really good people, man, is it fun? Oh yeah, I love it. It's fun, yeah. and we, you know, we did everything. We did weapons. We did guns. We did, you know. I got injured a lot, but I also had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah you got to watch out for you got to watch out for things that blow up. Oh, really? Yeah, that's What's that's where I, I got hurt more doing that than you know I got shot with squibs and stuff and you know wait wait especially if you if you're squibbing a car. Yeah, you got to be careful because that's bondo on the car that they seal up the squib hole. Did you know this? No, you know, they do it. Well, I don't know if they do it digitally anymore. I guess you could, but is what they used to do is they used to drill holes in the side of the car. Like if you're doing a drive-by shooting and the actor's standing in front, mm-hmm. the car's behind it. They would just put drill bullet holes, and then they put the squib behind it. Okay, in yeah. each hole, and then they would bondo the car back up again. But when that's shooting out of there, that's shooting out as a, as a bullet. Oh, my God. That Bondo is rock hard. It's just like the siding of a car. And so you're getting shot with a bullet that thick. Oh. So I got hit in the neck one time with it, and I got, I got shot. But yeah, and, and another time it happened in Paris where one of my co-stars almost got killed because uh, – the guy didn't know what he was doing, and he had squibbed the car in an angle where we were supposed to dive underneath the car. And I said, I'm not diving underneath there. He's going to get shot. Yeah. And he said, no. But he got shot. He got shot three times in the leg. Lucky it didn't hit him in the head. Right. But one grazed me in the chin and uh, shot me, and I, I, I chased the, stunk, the uh, ballistics guy off the set. Because I thought I thought I told him, you know, if 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 I'm running in front, if you see me, and it's not the stunt double, you see me running in the shot, and then the bullets are supposed to be behind me on the car. If you get overzealous, and basically what it is, it's a little two by four with some switches on it that mm-hmm. are hooked to each one. Each one of those switches is hooked to one of those squibs, mm-hmm. and he just takes his finger and runs it along the the wood. Pop 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 pop. And so if he gets a little bit ahead, he's going to shoot you. Yeah. And so he did. He got excited and he, you know, ripped it along and he got ahead of me. Thank God I was looking toward the camera because I wanted the camera to see that I was in the gag. Yeah, of course. So, but it grazed me under the chin. 
and nearly killed. And so that was, you know, scary. It was really scary. And so the same thing, I had the same setup in Paris. It's three o'clock in the morning and this director didn't know what they were doing. And I said, and they had taken the car and they put it on a curb because there was a flare into the camera from the street, from the street light. Yeah. And so instead of just rolling the bloody window down, they took the whole car and put it on the curb. And the curbs in Paris are high. And so the angle of the car was down toward the street now. And so when you <laughs> split that side, that side of the car, it's going to shoot down. And he wanted both of us to dive under the car. And I said, I'm diving right into the line of fire. And he didn't get the concept that I'm going to get shot by the Bondo. Yeah. And so, and my co-star didn't know any better because he'd never done the gag before. So he thought I was being a prima donna. And he said, Jeff, let's just do the gag. And I said, I'm not doing that gag. His name was Christian. And I said, Christian, you can do it, but I'm not. I'm jumping out of the way. But if you want to go ahead and do that, go ahead. Be my guest, but you're going to end up in the hospital. And he, sure enough, pop, 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 pop. And he's screaming and yelling. There's blood spewing out of his leg because they squibbed, the, they shot him. Holy crap. So you got to be really careful with that, that stuff. I had one time where I had a squib and you know, I was doing Raven and I had a squib that was a wireless squib on my shoulder because I was getting shot off a cliff. Mm -hmm. So they, had, they, they couldn't get enough wire because I was falling off the cliff into a bag on the side of the cliff. Okay. And so it was a scary gag to begin with. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I was looking over my left hand shoulder and somebody walked by with the same frequency of the squib on his walkie-talkie and pressed the button and shot and hit me in the eyes. What? Hit me in the eyes, yeah. It hurt, man. One time I had got my hair on fire and I sealed my eyelid shut with a piece of molten lead because this ballistics guy had put a, a charge of C4 around this uh, fence to make it look like it's electrical. And I was, my character comes up with a little wire and he throws it up against the fence, supposed to spark. Yeah. So he didn't know how to do it, apparently. And so he squibbed it in a circle around the wire with C4, and it blew the whole fence off. And then half of the fence hit me in the side of the head. And it was on fire. And so <laughs> started my hair on fire. And if I hadn't shut my eye, I probably would have lost my eye. So it sounds like uh, what happens what happened behind the scenes in these few instances had more action going on it than what was caught on camera. Well, certainly, it's, it's, it, when you're looking at that kind of work, when you're really seeing stunt guys do the work, especially old school, it's not all CGI and green screen. Yeah. Those guys are really in danger. You know, I was in danger a lot. Yeah. I had a fight in, in Raven on a 37, I guess it was like 37, 38 floors on top of a hotel in Waikiki. And you know what was holding me up? It was two Samoan guys hanging onto my ankles as I was dangling over the side of the building. I had no wire. Wow. Makes me a little freaked out about heights anymore, you know? So, like, yeah, you'll look back on certain things and you'll be like, oh, wow, I did do that. Yeah, nuts, right? It's just nuts. It's stupid. You know, it's my ego or whatever. But, you know, there's a reason that some guys get paid a lot of money. You know, it's because they're putting their lives in danger. When you see, you know, I think I'm not sure if Chad did the the the. I have to look it up. But when you know the recent Magnificent Seven with Denzel, I Denzel know. Washington, yeah, all those gags, those are real gags, man. Those guys are hitting the dirt from two, three stories off a roof. 
I mean, those are real gag men, man. That's that's some serious. When you go back and look at that movie, there's no CGI. Those guys are those guys are hitting the dirt, man. It's it's always a nice feeling to and cause... they're so good, man. There's I it just I totally buy it. You know, right? I mean, there's there's just something about being able to see a real stunt or just like a real fight scene actually exactly. happen on your camera. Exactly. Cause... This is one of the things that I had trouble with when I was watching. You know, I love Jeff's work, um, but I think that in terms of how it was shot and the Born Identity stuff, it's too close. I mean, okay. Matt had to do all that work. He had to do all that work, and he was doing it so beautifully. Get back up. Back the freaking camera up and stop smash cutting everything. You know, let let us see the gag. You know, I never understood that. And so I demanded it when I was doing Raven. And I think it paid off in the long run. I think some of the fight sequences are cool. Yeah. And, they, and the reason for it is because we, you can see the fight. You know, you see some of these other movies now and, and you just, they're, they're so smash cutted that you, you can't even see the gag. No. You know, you don't even see the moves anymore or the choreography or the sense of 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 drama within the fight you know it's uh, right and it, it's when you say that it's it it really really brings to light how it's crazy that you have all these action movies but then when it comes time for an action scene it's almost like or for a fight scene it's almost like it's an afterthought that's right very good well, well put and I think that, you know, there's, I want to, the, the stuff that I'm doing, I'm writing a movie right now and I, it's, it's going to be, a, it's an action, it's a, it's a real action movie. And it's about this guy and it's very similar to the Raven character, but it's this, it's this guy who, and I, I want to do it as raw and old school as, as possible. So I'm going to get the best fighters. I'm going to get the best, you know, Jeffy Mottip said he was, he's going to do it. I also want um, uh, Garrett Warren, who does all the Avatar movies. Do you know the, the Avatar movies? Yeah, you know, two through like 12 or filming. Yeah, Garrett stuff. Warren is the stunt coordinator on a lot of that stuff. And he was yeah. my stunt double when I was doing Raven as well. And he's just an amazing martial artist. And he knows how to put together a fight sequence. And uh, I, I'm just, I, I want to see the fights. When I go to those kind of movies or I want to see those movies, I want to see the guy in danger. I want to see it. I want to see it happening. I'm, and not so close that I, I, I can't tell the difference between the stunt double and the, and the actor. I want to see the actor doing it, you know? Did you... That's did you like Jason Strathairn. Is, how do you pronounce his name? Strathairn? Jason Statham? Yeah, he's... I, I loved his earlier stuff because it was just so raw, yeah. you know, and I could see that he's doing the gag. That's what made him famous It's because, you know, they, they bought that this guy was athletic enough and skilled enough to be able to pull that stuff off. That's what I wanted when I was doing Raven. I said, if I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to do it and it's going to be legit. You know, that's what I wanted. I don't know if I, you know, ended up, accomplishing that but that was my goal you know i i really wanted it to be that you know i this guy can do this work you know yeah and i wanted it to also be a scene i think a lot of times people forget that a fight sequence is something separate from the movie when it is the movie and so i want to see the chess match within the fight mm -hmm. 
And so the pauses, you know, it's like when, when you go back and look at some of the Sergio Leone movies, you know, all those wonderful duels that he had and how he set them up. And he, he created this sense of mystery and, and uh, a suspense that a lot of, you know, action movies now, they lack the skill in creating suspense, which I think is part of good storytelling. You know, it's, it's not all about hits and kicks. It's about what's in between all that, you know, and, and what's going on when the chess match is, uh, is, it turns one way or the other. That's, that's um, a good sequence. Well, you, you talking about that, what comes to mind is the Bruce Lee, Robert Baker fight. Yeah, there you go. Theory. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason that they're famous. And right. I think a lot of it has to do with this ability. And, and also Bruce Lee was a very good actor. Yeah. You know, he got good. He, he wanted to be a good actor, you know, and uh, I think that that serviced him so much because he was so committed to the acting as well as the martial arts. But uh, he, you know, that's what made it so transcendent is that it was a it was a scene. Yeah. It, was a, it was a piece of a real piece of dialogue going on with no no dialogue. And that takes skill, I think, to, to as a filmmaker to to recognize that and how to do that. I think that you know some of the great Chinese directors are good at it. Pretty well, that you gave a a, a very detailed uh, biography of your career uh, into well, up to that in television. And then I started making films, and you know, yeah. and, and then uh, uh, just more. I've had five television series that I've been on, so it's you know, that- I've, I've had a I've had a lovely career. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to ask, does, is, is that including Conquest? Or yeah, Conquest? yeah, Mortal Kombat. I, I've, done a, I've done kind of a gamut of things. I also do musicals, you know, oh, so wow. I, I did the Doors musical. I played Jim Morrison in the Doors musical. I forgot about that. A gas. And that, you know, the, I played with the Doors. It was really amazing. And um, I... Uh, have done you know i've been so fortunate to be able to do so much different stuff it's not just the martial arts and but the martial arts came out of my desire to be um a good actor you know and so i wanted to be supple i wanted to move well i thought what better way to move and to know how to kick and to punch and i think i thought it could become really useful what styles did you learn of martial arts? Well, a lot of Taekwondo and Aikido, but also Wing Chun and, you know, some uh, um, uh, Jiu But um, for the most part, for films and stuff, I, I think it's just that Taekwondo translates well on film, you know, because it's so broad and there's such big strokes of it. It's almost as like a John Wayne haymaker, you know. <laughs> Is that it's it, it? What I find a little weird about Aikido, especially if you're looking at the Seagal movies, oh, is yeah. that everybody just keeps running at him. He just stands there, <laughs> you know. It's sort of, of, uh, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but it's just odd, you know. It's uh, you think after five guys got their arms broke that they would stop doing. Oh, I know. And the best example of it is uh, in it's on Deadly Ground where he walks into that bar and 
Well, first off, okay, so you have, like, five guys run at him, like you said, and then there's, like, this random, like, guy who looks like he's 90 <laughs> run at, runs at him, and then another guy runs at him, and then Steve, there's, like, a close-up where Steven Seagal, like, grabs his groin and, like, flips him over, and you hear the guy go, oh, my nuts! I'm like, uh, Mortal Kombat, I went into Reed for Raiden, and I tested for Raiden three times, and I thought, well, they don't really want me for this part. And so the third time that I went in, I, I read, and then they handed me, they, they kind of got conferred, the casting director and the producers and directors, conferred a little bit, and they handed me a script with Shao Kahn. And I thought, well, okay, they're not going to hire me for Raiden. But they hired me for both. <laughs> so I, I played both parts on the series. So what was your reaction when you found out that you'd be playing both sides of the... I said, I said, I said you're going to pay me for both, right? <laughs> and they I said, yes. And so I got paid for two roles on that show. So it was pretty great, pretty fun. It was a little challenging to do both parts in the same day. In the same day? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I had to play both parts in the same day. It wasn't often, but sometimes they tried to schedule it so I didn't have to do that. But, you know, at one point in the end of the series, which is really unfortunate, the series didn't get picked up because the, the, uh, the numbers on it were really good. Yeah, well, what happened? Why didn't what it What happened is, is, from what I heard from one of the other producers, was that the line producer on the show neglected to include in the budget residuals for the actors. And so that was like four and a half million dollars. And so Mortal Kombat didn't want to pick up the bill and TNT didn't want to pick up the bill. Oh, shoot. So they just decided, well, screw it. We're not going to do the series anymore, which is really unfortunate because the, the show is really popular. Yeah. I and, mean, and we were bummed because we didn't even get to tell the story because, you know, what Shao Kahn wins. I mean, that's not right. That, that clearly was not the intended ending. Oh, no. Um, yep. So, so I got I got to play both, and um, I told the makeup artist I said because it was in Florida they were shooting it was hot, and I didn't want to put a skull cap on for you know because it's gonna I was gonna sweat it off, and I didn't want to put a wig over my hair, so I said okay if you shave my head, uh, I'll do it, but you have to agree that every time I want to get it shaved I I get it shaved by you. So even if I'm not working, if I want to come to the studio and get my head shaved, you have to drop what you're doing and you have to shave my head. So that's how that was the agreement. So I never had to shave it on my own. That's and awesome. So for the whole show in Florida, yeah, it was it was cool. I didn't mind it. I like being bald. It was cool. It is a uh, uh, low maintenance, you know. I can imagine. Wow, <laughs> so that was a wig. Yeah, so Raiden was a wig. And, um, and my, and for, uh, it was my skin for Shao Kahn. Makes sense. All right. So I'm curious. Mm. What was, what was, take, can you take us through just a day in the life on the set of, of Conquest? Like, obviously you said some days you'd have to go back and back, back between roles, but. Well, it was great because it was, you know, also a parade of some of the most beautiful women in the world. So I've seen. So every week was just this another spectacular, you know, female character would come through and 
and you get to make friends with these people and it's in Florida. And so you can play golf, you can go out to dinner and, and it was a very nice group of people. So we all hung out together. We'd go to the steakhouse like maybe three or four times a week oh, and man. we would eat well and, you know, hang out together. And I played golf with uh, Bruce Locke. Bruce Locke and I are still great friends. Um, and he's a good golfer too, much better than I am. And uh, it, it, so we'd go and, and, and hang out. We, I, I lived at Celebration, which is the planned Disney community that's next to MGM in Florida. And so MGM and Disney are the same lot. And right, so they right. Have, they have the tour there, right? And so right across the bridge over the freeway is Celebration, which is a planned community. It's the same guy that did the Truman Show designed Celebration. So it felt like you were, it felt like you were on a, you know, you were, it was sort of like the Stepford Wives place, you know, it's just this really sort of creepy, <laughs> wonderful, you know, it's, I, I ride my bike with my bald head around this little, you know, strange <laughs> little neighborhood. And, uh, and the, the golf course was world-class. It was right there, it had its state-of-the-art gym, had basketball courts, had a swimming pool, had a, a park. Great theaters, great restaurants. I never went anywhere. It was great. I loved it. And I would just hop in the car and go yeah. two minutes. I was at work. It was wow. brilliant. And wow. it was at Disney, you know? I mean, it was it was awesome. I loved it. And then you have Florida. Was, they had the keys and, you know, it's I love Florida. And you go to Miami. And it was really, really a sweet gig. And we were really bummed that it didn't get picked up because of why it didn't get picked up. That because we thought we were there for at least five years. Oh, because the show was really successful. The yeah. numbers were great. We didn't get canceled because the numbers weren't good. We got canceled because they had financial issues. I had heard I, I had heard a smattering of of different rumors, like things like relating to Columbine and TNT didn't like TNT got apparently got accused of having too violent of a show because like that was like right like right basically right after that no, no. I, I figured that was not true but no i i learned from the you know it was it was financial yeah is that somebody forgot to budget a major part of the budget and no how one wanted that... to pick up the tab how does that happen <laughs> i don't know no i could be wrong i, I mean I, I i could be absolutely but that's what i heard and yeah. you know so anyway um i it, so on the set i'd go into and it was a lot of the city was built in one studio yeah and so the it was all in one big huge sound studio it was built this whole city that we worked in and then we'd go on location once in a while too but uh i'd go in get get hair and makeup on go out on the set shoot four or five scenes and go home. It was brilliant, brilliant. And then we do fight sequences in a separate place, which I didn't care for because I don't think the, the fighting and the show should have been separated. So one was B unit and the other one was A unit. And I don't, I, and I, they were doing that to expedite the show because it was for time constraints and stuff. But I think that what happens is that you end up doing two different shows. Instead of having a camera on the fight, too, I think at least B camera could have been setting up and choreographing the fights. And then there should have been a section of the show where the A camera was actually 
the general um, and the the principal photographer. Um, I think that's where the, the in in my opinion, if I would go back, I would probably do that um, to clean it up a little bit. But some of the, I mean, we had the best. Oh, I used to go out and party with these guys, and you'd have you know, uh, um, I can't remember his name now. He's like seven time world champion in in taekwondo competition. Um, John Sarah, John Sarah, Casamassa. Do you know who Casamassa is? Oh, um, Chris Casamassa. Chris Casamassa. Yeah, he he played uh, Sub Zero. Uh, um, I think it was uh, Scorpion, actually. Yeah, Scorpion. Excuse me. Yeah, and so we'd go out and we would, uh, you know, what's great about Disney World is is that there's a a place at night where you can go and party as an adult. Oh my you know, god! There's a, there's a whole there's a series of clubs and stuff, and so yeah. we just go and you don't you take a cab, so you can go and party if you want to. And I'd go out with all these stunt guys and everything. We just have a ball. We just have a, the greatest time. And then they have fireworks every night, and they'd have bands, and it, <laughs> it was really cool. And so we had you know tickets to get in all the time because we worked at the park. The weird thing about it too, though, the weird thing about Mortal Kombat was is that they they made it part of the of the tour, and yeah, so yeah. I, I would be I would be shooting Shao Kahn in his throne, and the backlight of the throne would throw light onto the people on the catwalk that were taking the tour, and so it was incredibly distracting to play Shao Kahn because <laughs> I'd have all these people with baby carriages and shit all around the the top of the studio and then they eventually they put it behind glass so they had them behind glass but they we we had to have a negotiation because nobody told the actors that that was going to happen and uh -huh. so that was a violation of the contract oh is that yeah we were part of the tour but we weren't getting paid for part of the tour and I so see. one of the actors got stinky about it and said no no I, I never agreed to do this show and have an audience. There, there was no nothing in my contract with a live audience. Well, also, I could see conflicts being created with, like, you know, these families watching and there's, you know, half-naked women at your throne. <laughs> well, there was that. It was a G-rated show, though. I mean, it wasn't like it was a, you know... Well. I don't know. I mean, when I when I think of Disney, I I, I don't think of like Jamie. Well, Puss that's true. That's true. But they have you know Star Wars and stuff like that. Well, I mean, it's kind of a little different. But I, I see what you mean. Yeah. You know, but it was also incredibly intrusive and distracting as hell. Of course. And you're trying to do a scene, and I'm seeing a bunch of people going like this. And the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was really very distracting. And so I think eventually they made some sort of deal that if they, they come in and only in certain times and then, you know, if we were rolling, they couldn't move. If I was in the middle of the scene, they couldn't change tours because you'd have 250 people walking on the catwalk. That is insane. 250? Yeah. Oh, there would be a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big studio. So, like, in between setups, would people get to come down and shake hands with, with, no, with everyone? Them, you could just see us actually working on okay. the set of Mortal Kombat while you were walking. Up, up. We never had any of the tourists on the set with us. 
I mean, that that still is cool. That, that you... It's totally cool, but it wasn't agreed to by any of the artists. Yeah, of course. They, well, Disney's notorious for this kind of stuff, too. Really? Yeah, Disney's, you know, if you, I don't know if you've talked to anybody in the business about who's the cheapest of all of the, is probably Disney's up there as, you know, one of the yeah. cheapest. And um, they're the most profitable. Company. Yeah, we were also at first, you know, when we got there too, they didn't give us any passes. You know, here we are working in the park, being part of the tour, and we yeah. couldn't even go onto the lot. And so they, none of the actors were given, you know, passes to go and play at the at the park. And, and one of the, again, one of the actors got a little pissy about it. Yeah, and went, hey, come on, right? We're part of your tour, and yet you're not giving us day passes to go enjoy the park. Right. You're going to have a problem. And so they called in the union and Screen Actors Guild came in and gave, gave them a lot of grief over it. So they ended up giving us passes and stuff. But do you think it would, it was squeaky that way? Do you, do you think it was, uh, did you say squeaky that way? Yeah, a little tight. Oh, well. Yeah, tight, just... with the, tight with the billfold there, my dad sure. would say. Come on, man! You mega billion dollar business, and you can't give us passes to your bloody park. Well, I'm sorry, but that's what you get for being part of a Warner Brothers production, or I guess New Line at that time. Yeah, it was New Line MGM, because uh, it was an MGM studio that was attached to MGM Disney. Yeah. It's one big corporation anymore. Yeah, you know, and Mortal Kombat, you know, it's, it's a huge entity unto itself. I mean, it's a billion. That was a billion-dollar business back then. Right. Oh, I mean, it's insane. You go back to, I think, 97. Like 97 is when just everything in Mortal Kombat was around because the, the show was on the horizon. You had Sub-Zero Mythologies coming out, and uh, you had the second Mortal Kombat movie. Just, Yeah. A lot was happening. I tested um, for Raiden in the second Mortal Kombat movie. Really? In fact, yeah, and I actually, um, and uh, I can't remember the actor's name now. Who played James with me? Yeah, I just thought James is just, you know, for, for me, I, James is a wonderful actor. But, oh, yeah, he's great in 48 hours. Yeah, but I, I didn't think he was right for Raiden. I but didn't. I, yeah, and especially so, especially in the wake of Christopher Lambert. Yeah, and Lambert was fun too. I, I auditioned with Chris Lambert. He was really a nice man. I liked him very much. Um, I don't know what he's doing now. Do you know what he's doing now? I still uh, I don't know. Huh? Yeah, you know what he said. He said the, the reason he he looks so intense. You know when he did the Tarzan movie. Mm -hmm. He had this sort of like stare that was like really intense, right? Oh, and yeah. he said, no, it's just because I'm blind. I can't see. And so I'm trying to focus. What? <laughs> yeah, he said he said he couldn't see without his glasses. And so, Fair enough. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but I, I liked him. I, I, I auditioned for, I don't think it was the Mortal Kombat movie, but it was with... But I also auditioned for Mortal Kombat, the first movie, as Johnny Cage. Really? Okay. And it was, I went into audition with them with, um, 
uh, let's see. Was um, Cameron Diaz? You so me, Cameron Diaz? she went in for Sonia. Yeah. And so she and I tested together for Johnny Cage and Sonia. Neither one of us got the part. That's insane. So basically, you guys were doing an, an audition and a, a chemistry test at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So they were mix mixing and matching actors. Yeah. And so it was me and Cameron Diaz where we tested for Johnny Cage and Sonia, and we did both of us didn't get the part. I mean, when you were auditioning, how did it feel working with her in terms of just like doing, oh, doing we, the scene? Well, she and I were friends. We had been friends for she. I I went a friend of mine who was uh, my makeup artist for mm -hmm. a couple of years. He was dear friends with her boyfriend at the time, and it was her seventeenth birthday. And I went over to her house with them and I met Cameron for the first time. She came into the room and I went, oh, my God, I turned to my friend. I said, she's a star. Yeah. I said, she's a star. She just lights up the room. And I didn't even she wasn't even an actor then. Oh, yeah, she was just uh, somebody's. It was this guy, Carlos, his, his girlfriend. And uh, but so we, we had been friends for years before she started even acting. And then uh, it was so funny. I was about ready to go in to test for Johnny Cage. And uh, that is the character's name, right? Is it Johnny Cage? or So so the, the Johnny Cage, you're thinking of the actor, the, the character who's an actor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was the character. I was going, it was a fun part. And so um, I was standing there, and then she was in the hallway. And I said, Cameron, what are you doing? She goes, I'm, I'm, I'm coming for this Mortal Kombat movie. And oh. I went, yeah, what part? And she goes... Oh, for this uh, Sonia something or other. And I went, great. Oh, great. I think we're going to, we, we might test together. And she so goes, you, oh, that'd be so cool. And she was just starting out. Yeah. She hadn't done anything then. That's insane. Yeah, I think she got masked like a month later or something like that. Oh, so they, yeah, that was my next question was like, was this post-mask or so this is before I think it. I think it was prior to mask. I'm not sure on the timing there. Wow. But she had not done much of anything yet, you know, so that was Cause, pretty uh, cool. Yeah, because uh, I remember watching a, it was a, it was a documentary about the mask because I'm a really big fan of Jim Carrey's early work. Oh, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, like pretty much ever since I was like six years old. He's still doing good stuff. Have you seen Kidding? I've been making a point to Hilarious watch. and so dark and poignant and funny and weird and. It's so great. It's he's he's amazing. He's yeah. truly amazing. Yeah, he uh, definitely definitely is one of those comedic actors that can also grab your heart and wrench it. Because oh, there's yeah, he's just really talented, man. He's an incredible guy. Like I, Liar Liar is one of my favorite comedies. Yeah, no yeah. kidding, right? He's yeah. brilliant. And also, all the Ace Ventura movies are priceless. Easily. Come on, they're priceless. She's so talented. Okay, so basically, it sounds like you had a pretty good history with Mortal Kombat prior before Conquest. So I guess like 
four or five years, you were in one way or another involved with what was Yeah, happening. I was auditioning, but I never ended up getting the any of the roles. So strangely enough, when, you know, a, a dear friend of mine who I went to school with was Brian Thompson, who ended up playing Shao Kahn in one of the movies. Yeah, he's one of the punks that uh, gets stabbed or gets his fist put up through him in The Terminator. That's exactly right. Well, Brian and I went to college together. Wow. <laughs> I, I did, a, I did a, a production of Coriolanus with Brian Thompson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't really see too much of him in, in the films. Like, I, I've seen him as that and then uh, Buffalo Bob and Joe Dirt. So I guess, is he mainly a theater actor? Uh, no, he does He does film and television. He was trying to produce some other stuff on his own. I think he's just partially retired, you know. He's, you yeah. know, he's getting into his 60s and there's not a lot of great roles anymore for tough guys that are over 60 you know and i don't know he, he's a he's an interesting guy he's got a great look and definitely, definitely memorable and he's a well-trained actor you know he went to he went to irvine and it's a good acting school um and so brian knows what he's doing you know he's he's not a he's not a hack he's a good actor he also got that big break when he would did the stallone movie uh he, he did um what was the name of it? Um, was it Scorpion or something? Oh. Um, mm. And he played the heavy in it. Okay. Um, but I thought it was really odd that Brian and I, who we went to school together, and we did a production of Coriolanus together. It was a Shakespeare play. And I played Coriolanus, and he was one of the uh, senators. And... Uh, he and I had a, a little bit of a confrontation on the stage once and we were doing Coriolanus where he was challenging me. Really? Well, Brian's a tough guy, you know, he's big and strong and he played football in central Washington or something like that. And so he was kind of just checking out my masculinity a little bit. And so I punched him in the stomach <laughs> oh. and I didn't realize that he had had surgery Oh. remove part of his intestine and Jeez. so he dropped like a sack of potatoes on the stage <laughs> and, and I didn't know that you know someone that big could fold over so easy but he, he, he kept challenging me and finally I just let him have it but we became friends we played golf together we you know um, I've actually, you know, when I was uh, going through, uh, he, uh, I, I've been over at his house many times. We're good friends. Um, but nice. that was funny that it ended up being that he played Shao Kahn and I played Shao Kahn and we went to school together. Right, right. And well, it, it's also funny. It seems like at least, you know, he got, his, you know what he got his start doing? Yeah. He got his, he got his start, uh, working at Universal Studios and part of the tour there was a Conan exhibit where they had a little act. There was mm -hmm. a Conan act, and he played the Skeletor character in that. It's well, it's it's definitely a small world. I don't know. I guess I, I guess it was just meant to be that one way or another you're going to be involved with Mortal Kombat, and I guess that was the universe's way of saying your turn is coming. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the same thing happened with the doors you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I also tested for the Doors movie, and uh, didn't, you know, and then finally Oliver Stone said he was going to go with, you know, um, Val Kilmer. Wow. 
And uh, so I was kind of heartbroken about that because I thought I was really right for it. I could sing it all. And, you know, I, I loved Jim Morrison and I loved The Doors. And, and I had a actually played in a band with John Densmore, who was the drummer of The Doors, for, you know, five minutes when I was a young kid. Um, and um, we even recorded a little bit together. And so I had this real connection with The Doors. And so I went to Europe to do the exile. I went to Paris and I went to Pierre Lachaise and I looked at up Jim's grave and I sat there and I sort of had a conversation with him saying, you know, I really wanted to honor you by being in the movie and sorry that didn't happen, but I just I want you to know that I really admired you as an artist and blah, blah, blah. I was just being young and funny. And then I, I ended up getting the musical and so I ended up playing with the doors and and actually playing in the band with them. They were on stage playing in the uh, uh, close. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was and, really cool. And I guess you got to do the production for longer than, so basically you, you got to play Jim Morrison for longer than what you would. Yeah, exactly. It was like, It's almost as if I got anointed somehow. In fact, his sister, Jim Morrison's sister, gave me all of his poetry that he had written in Paris. Oh, wow. Yeah, all the stuff that's unpublished, she gave me... Um, copy of that which is pretty cool i still have it I, it's, it's, yeah and so i have this real connection to i i always believe that the you know the world works mysteriously and you know if you really have a connection to something you end up being in it i, I don't know it's weird so richie what was it like talking to jeff meek you should have saw me the whole time i wish you would have saw me because 95 percent of the time i was just staring open jawed I had no idea where these guys, where this guy's stories was going to go next. Yeah, when Richie got to talk to Jeff Meek, I got a little uh, jealous because <laughs> out of the entire show of Conquest, Jeff Meek, who played Raiden and Shao Kahn, was the best part. Anytime a scene of his showed up, he, he just, you just had to watch him, and you know, so you know, because of a. a us being long-winded as podcasters or interviewers, we split this up into two parts. We can be very long-winded, as you're going to see in future episodes, too. And, and so we broke this up for you guys so you didn't have to, you know, listen to a three-hour podcast in a, you know, one-week session. So tune in March 12th, where Richie, once again, talks to Jeff Meek, not only more about Mortal Kombat Conquest, but also one of the coolest stories, I think, where he gets into his audition of the 1989 Batman movie. It's going to be awesome. So once again, we find them, you watch them. Action Gems.